are listening to Chaos on the Set. I'm your host, Shruti, but we are not joined by Kate and Mike today because we are recording a very special episode on The White Lotus, the HBO miniseries that then became a recurring series um, that just ended this past Sunday night. And Mike and Kate have sadly not finished The White Lotus yet, but that doesn't mean we are not joined by two very special guests, Colby and Jacob. Colby and Jacob, why don't y'all introduce yourselves to our lovely audience? Hi, I'm Colby. I am a person from North Carolina with two podcasts, uh, Never Made Varsity and Martha and Colby Grew Up. Colby actually inspired this podcast in a way by inviting me onto a podcast to discuss the Santa Claus expanded universe in which Colby and I got very chaotic and came up with a theory where one of the elves like killed the lead headed elf in charge between Santa Claus 2 and the Santa Claus 3 the escape clause yes Bernard was murdered by one of the other elves but you can listen to that podcast to learn about all the details but us getting chaotic on that podcast ended up inspiring me to create this podcast so thanks colby anytime jacob why don't you tell the people who you are hi i'm jacob bilotti and i am a huge fucking bitch and i'm very excited to be here today on the podcast (laughs) talking about one of my favorite shows of the year the white lotus (laughs) <laughs> I did tell Jacob that um, he could curse on this podcast, but because Jacob is on this podcast and Jacob and I go way back, we went to high school together, my dad will probably listen to this episode. So <laughs> I am a wonderful person who has a lot to offer, and for the record, I love your father, and I am very sorry <laughs> for the way I have just behaved and will not curse again on the show. You probably didn't watch The White Lotus, so it wouldn't wouldn't do well listening to this episode, but... Like and subscribe, Dad. That's what you can do. (laughs) But anyway, let's get down to the nitty gritty. The White Lotus is a, again, it was a miniseries created out of COVID. Um, HBO had like a block in their schedule where they needed something to fill. They called Mike White. Mike White had this COVID-friendly, able-to-shoot show, and it shot basically without even going to a second draft they filmed very very fast the finale again aired this past sunday and i feel like the best way to start talking about this show is to talk about the finale first what did y'all think were you overall excited disappointed neutral well listen i am gonna be the person who comes in saying i thought it was brilliant okay i thought everything about it clicked in a way and maybe there were a couple little parts where you're kind of like wait that doesn't make sense in terms of traditional television and how television plot lines should play out uh for instance the lonnie not returning from episode one but what i thought was there was more of a broader message in the show that came together beautifully it wasn't like specific little things that came together beautifully it was a broader message and so i thought that that episode was absolutely incredible and absolutely an hbo show regarding the lani thing and if you forget who lani is because she did literally only show up for one episode she's the employee that went into labor in the first episode and then you never see her again and it's really interesting because i run a betting series for most shows where people make predictions about what will happen in the finale And one of the bets were, will Lonnie show up in the finale? And if this was any other show that probably went through a more extensive notes process, 
Lonnie would have showed up in the finale because that's what the rules of storytelling demand is that you don't introduce a character to never see her again. But I think that twist on with the constraints that the White Lotus was made in kind of made it a more interesting show because it didn't you know, follow the rules of traditional storytelling. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of a, a rules are meant to be broken moment uh, that we don't see Lonnie come back. We don't see Kai come back. Uh, I think those were, one, logistical decisions, but also pointed decisions uh, based around, like, the theme of of this show. I, I like the finale. I... I have a suspicion that a lot of people may have been disappointed by the lack of mystery with with the with the ending but this whole episode was like a masterclass and set up and payoff it was really it was just good television really the whole show was a masterclass and set up and pay off and how to subvert those expectations but yeah i really enjoyed it the biggest example of set up and payoff is that the show starts with jake lacy's character shane at the airport in hawaii flying back from his honeymoon and he says somebody was killed at the white lotus and then you flash back seven or ten days earlier uh where you are now going to see what happened, who died. And, you know, people could speculate wildly on who they think died, but I honestly think most people who are watching the show week to week forgot that it started with a death setup. Um, But then when you get to the final episode or even the penultimate episode, when things start getting a little bit more interesting, you start thinking who's going to die when Shane, you know, brandishes a knife in front of his wife, Rachel, when she's saying that she wants to leave him, you're like, is he going to kill her then? There are a lot of these other fake out moments. Did y'all fall for them? Did you enjoy them and respect them for kind of getting you or were you kind of unamused by them? I never thought that Shane was going to kill Rachel. Uh, I, 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 the, the logic bro inside of me was like, well, if he, if he would have killed his wife, he wouldn't be sitting there in the airport seven days later. No. <laughs> He'd probably be somewhere else. I honestly, as the show kept going on, uh, with that scene in my head, I really thought he was just that mad about the pineapple suite, <laughs> uh, just never getting his room. Um, but I, I had a sneaking suspicion that it was gonna be Armand the whole time, and and I think the the story did a good job of leading the audience there while also giving some different options like um my um my park cop friend uh the bureau of land management dude i also thought he was gonna die i so i mean one of the bets that we had in our prediction series was will armand die or sorry will who will die and i bet the dude that was coughing because that's like again somebody's coughing obviously they're gonna be the ones that die see but that would have been horrible television though if he had died I, like, I do agree with you. I think it would have been horrible if he died and it would have been horrible if Rachel died. But none of the fake outs really got me. Maybe I just wasn't in well, watching the show to see who dies. But I was never like, oh, no, they're going to die. I was always like, I guess we'll see who dies when they die. Well, here's my thing. So I was faked out, definitely. Um, I was faked out right up until Armand started going crazy in the last episode and had that final walk, which was obviously the final dinner. That whole thing was like clearly his last moment. Um, 
but I was faked out the whole time because I think I was reading into what TV rules should tell you too much. And that was that in the first episode, Quinn and his father, Quinn makes several comments to him like, what are you afraid of sharks? And then Armand talks to the dad and says, oh, that we have sharks, they're this big, and they're talking about going on this big scuba trip. And so to me, like in traditional storytelling like those are subtle hints that the dad's probably going to get bit by a shark or something and then also the fact that in the first episode he thought he was going to die from testicular cancer and then he found out he didn't have it so that he was safe made me think he was going to die you know so there was there definitely was that fake out to me and i definitely you, wait you that. really thought the testicular cancer was going to be the death no he's going thought... to drop dead seven days later <laughs> No, I thought that because he thought he was going to die and then found out he wasn't going to die, that meant gotcha. he was going to die later. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> ha- yes. Have y'all seen uh, Boyhood? Yeah. The movie? Of course. I, I, yeah, I feel like that's kind of kind of like how Boyhood worked. Like I, that scene where they're in, I, it's been a, a couple years since I've seen this movie. But they're in, like, that abandoned house or that warehouse or whatever, and they're playing with, like, a nail gun or whatever. Um, And you're just waiting for something horrible to happen, and it just never does. I feel like both of those, both Boyhood and and The White Lotus kind of leaned into, with that story in particular, that arc, the monotony of, of those lives that... Yeah, you expect really something epic to happen because we're all the main character of this great main character of this grand story, um, and then nothing really exceptional happens. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that it really did work for me for the sake of the show. Um, do y'all think the show would have worked if it didn't start with that flash forward? It a hundred percent would have worked for me. Um, but knowing how audiences need something to latch on to a hook at the beginning i feel like that was necessary to both get the show sold and also to like bring in audience to be intrigued week after week i personally just loved like all the themes in the show and the characters and seeing how they interacted and how their stories unfolded but i do think a lot of people need something like what's going to happen at the end of this to reel them into the show. Yeah, a hundred percent agreed. I could have watched the show without ever knowing that there was a, a dead body being loaded onto that plane. I would have enjoyed it, but I'm not sure if that would have worked for everybody else. Yeah, I think I'm in. I agree with both of y'all. I think that um, it's definitely very weird. And the second through fourth episode doesn't have a lot of action you know it's a lot of just these two people are going to talk and you're going to feel incredibly uncomfortable and mortified and now these two people are going to talk and you're going to feel the same but um wait i didn't feel that way at all hold on i okay okay we do need to talk about this so jacob told me a week ago that i need to watch the white lotus and i said no blah 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 and then of course i watched it (laughs) yeah but i after about the fourth or fifth episode, I texted him like, this is terrible. I, I'm so mortified and tense and anxious and stressed while watching the show. It is not an enjoyable experience for me. <laughs> and Jacob responded that I'm taking it too seriously and that it's fascinating and I need to just watch these people be in their environment, which I agree. Episodes one through three or four, it was like very fun and interesting to watch that. And I think the score 
really delivered on keeping that mood. But once we got into the Kai and the jewelry stealing storyline, it got way too real. I cared way too much about Kai. And I was like, (laughs) this is terrible. I'm I'm a ball of nerves. (laughs) Yeah, that storyline was well, when I was watching the the heist scene take place, I was shouting at Kai, like, just drop it and say, hey, wrong room, sorry about that, and leave. Yeah. Like, if he would have just done that, it would have been Wait, fine. Wait, I didn't even think about that. Why did he do- the second he went, like, full aggro and, like, give me $10,000, I was like, Kai, you're playing this the wrong way, honey. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely got himself uh, worse in that situation than it would have been. But I also wasn't fully stressed out during that. I thought it was kind of funny. I was amused by the situation that had been created. And I was more like also in the mindset of like, I'm so interested to see how this is going to affect Paula more than anything. Like I wasn't thinking, oh my God, this is going to be horrible as it was happening. I was like, oh, how is this going to affect Paula? And what's that going to do with her relationship with uh, the sister, you know, so that's kind of where my mind went when all that was going on. I was I was really trying. I said, Jacob told me to chill. I'm just going to chill <laughs> and I'm just going to enjoy and see how this plays out. And then I would like clutch my roommate's shoulder because I didn't know what was going to happen next. But I, I appreciate your ability to see things that way. Do you think are y'all mad that we never saw Kai again or do you think it works with the storytelling? I think it uh, works. Yeah, I think it's definitely... Uh, it's kind of the same thing I had with Lonnie where I kind of understand like the whole point of this is showing that like these white people you know come in and they leave and they have a good time or whatever and the people that work there are so non-existent I mean that's part of Armand's opening monologue in the show in the very first episode is like uh, you know the staff is basically not supposed to be noticed they're not supposed to be there or exist and so the way that those two characters kai and lani are kind of sweeped out of the way and you never see them again that just like speaks to kind of the whole point of the show yeah uh shruti i I, so the moment i started relaxing when like watching the show like letting the tension ease off was actually in the first episode with tanya (laughs) <laughs> because I, I was watching and I was like, I know like Mike White's funny. Like I've seen, like I've heard him talk. He's a funny dude. Like I, I know there are jokes in here, but I wonder if he knows what the joke here actually is. And then Tanya started to try to sing in Hindi or <laughs> chant in yes. Hindi. I was like, okay, yeah, he absolutely knows what the joke is here. And I am here for this entire show. But even that, like, I was just tense what? because I was like, Belinda's being played. <laughs> she's she's dealing with Tanya and this, like, honestly, very mortifying situation after situation. But she's like, I'm just going to make my own business. It's all worth it. And the whole time we're all watching and we're like, Belinda, no, it's not going to happen. And I just felt so bad for her. And I agree with y'all that, like, it works with the show. And Mike White has said in interviews that, like, the cat or the not the cast, the support staff is invisible and they literally never show up again. And that rings true to me and I understand the perspective and most people that I've seen react on Twitter also understand that it's like, yes, these white people's lives are fine and they ruined all these other people's lives and they just continue and you don't even see what happens to the other people's lives. 
and I think most most people that I follow on Twitter got that message. My concern is for the people that don't get the message, and for them, it's just another show where they only see white people. You know, like how is this different from another show where there is a person of color that gets screwed over, but you never see them again? Other than the fact that we're all noticing it, and it is intentional, but that doesn't mean a casual viewer would notice and get that lesson. Can we talk about Belinda in that context real quick? Yeah, for sure. Because I think this is a an interesting, like, behind the, like, if we switch the, switch the focus on, I don't really want to say Magical Negro, because I don't think it's that, but I think if I put myself in, in a writer's shoe um, of the political leanings I believe Mike White has... Uh, which where in the past year or so we've been talking about like the burden that black women have in our hashtag society uh, <laughs> of just like having to care for and having to foster relationships and having to make sure everyone's okay at all times at their own sacrifice. I think that it was actually kind of cool that the spotlight on that relationship is shared between Tanya in Belinda where we see this kind of I don't want to call I don't want to call her a broken person but this person that has some has some things to work through in Tanya um that we can sympathize with uh dealing with a loss and Belinda who has obviously been stuck in this situation for so long and is desperately looking for a way out I think it was really interesting that we finally got um not finally because other other shows have done this, but y- you know what I mean mm-hmm. with, with Belinda. I I agree. Like, it's almost her choosing to be the magical Negro and be like, I will make you feel like you're healed of all of this ails by chanting to you in Hindi. And listen, I've heard that Hindu prayer chant and I still have my ails, so I know that nothing <laughs> worked. <laughs> Um, but I was like, good for you, like play the game, especially because she, you know, said things like, oh, I don't get off till seven, but you know, it's fine. I'll make it work. And to me, I read that as pretending you have these constraints. So it looks like you're working harder to get out of them and you're therefore a better support system because you are shirking your actual job responsibilities to support Paula. So I liked all of that. I just still was very mortified watching it. (laughs) Take that white woman's money. Take it. it's time to get into our usual chaos on the set categories one category i think that would be very fun to play with with the white lotus is which other fictional characters would our fictional characters be friends with and these terrible white people would have some terrible (laughs) white and non-white friends i think (laughs) um but let's start with probably honestly i think the most interesting relationship which is the relationship between paula and olivia the two teenage girls first question first should they have gotten together? I think they missed out by not having them hook up. <laughs> Counterpoint. You say that as if they have not hooked up before. <laughs> True. They've definitely... Here's So my read of it is that they've hooked up many times in the past, but always drunkenly after a party. And Olivia is actually into Paula, but Paula has always thought that it was for fun. Yeah. Besides uh, drunken also, I'll add boredom to, to, to that one. That's why, honestly, when they weren't letting Quinn sleep in the room, I was like, it has to be because they're hooking up, right? But I guess not. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I didn't get that read at all. Listen, I looked at them as like they were almost not 
people as much as they were philosophical symbols in that show. I mean, the first time you see them sitting out there, they're reading what? They're reading Freud and Nietzsche. Like, that, <laughs> do you, that's okay, what... do you think they're actually reading them? No way yeah, they are. I think so, because I think, like, that's very symbolic of, like, kind of what they represent. And the whole time, their relationship is kind of representing the relationship that women sometimes have and i don't mean to speak as a non-woman <laughs> about women's issues but like they they definitely are representing like different types of relationships and how easily um things can go sour and how they can be repaired um under very stressful situations you didn't think in the scene where they were talking about the drugs that they had and Paula or Olivia. I thought that was like, pure comedy. He I thought she, it was really it fun. Was hilarious. <laughs> I'm not they were like, I, it wasn't hilarious. I wish but... we had drugs, and then they pull out like eighty thousand different drugs. That was pure comedy. That was pure comedy. But then when she's like listening to the drugs and they're having that like romantic moment with the drugs, they have hooked the up. ASMR. Yes, you don't ASMR your friend with weed if you haven't made out with her. <laughs> it was just it was a very Gen Z moment to me. <laughs> Well, okay. Colby and I think that they hooked up, but you don't have to think that. Um, who are the... Oh, the other thing I want to know before we get into fictional friendships is, are they even friends? Because it's very clear to me that Olivia has never held a friend's hair back while she puked, right? Yeah. <laughs> In the finale. And she's, like, so startled at this, which is, I think, like, holding a friend's hair back while you puke is kind of the uh, ultimate form of friendship, I think. I mean... Yeah, I mean, who who amongst us has not held a hair a friend's hair back while they pee? Jacob, have you? People have held my hair back. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying that. If she hasn't held Paula's hair back while she puked, and just the way that they talk to each other, they're obviously, I would assume, Paula is Olivia's closest friend in the fact that she brought her with her on this vacation. But she isn't her closest friend in all these other ways that we signify friendship. So... They just most both most feel very alone in that friendship and not actually safe with each other, right? Listen, I thought it was kind of um, representing like a digital age friendship. That's that was kind of my read on it, where like these two people are mostly communicating um, outside of school on through text messages and on social media. And that, like, they really only talk a few words in between class or something. And then, like, you know, occasional parties, they'll, like, sit next to each other. You know, that was kind of my read. It was, like, representing how they don't really know how to be close to each other anymore, despite being supposed best friends. Right, yeah. I, I It strikes me as a friendship of convenience rather than, uh, uh, as opposed to one of, like, actually caring, like... You know when you're in school and you have friends that you're friends with just because they're close, like like they're they're around you, like you're in the same clubs, you're in the same group, so you're friend. You're that's quote that's actually friends. how I feel about Shruti. <laughs> yeah, both of us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, dig- one's digital, one's just because it's close. You know. Colby's like, I have nobody else to talk to all day, so I might as well DM you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a that's a little too true. Too true. <laughs> Colby, don't admit to it. I can make the joke. You can't admit to it. <laughs> 
But I really hope these two go off to college and find people that they can actually be themselves around. Who do y'all think that they would be friends with? I'm watching you for the first time, and I really think that uh, Sydney Sweeney's character would be a good friend with Peach Salinger, the Emily from Pretty Little Liars character in you, season one. I think that they could be friends. I think that a a younger April Ludgate. Interesting. If like if if brought them together, I could see them actually being friends. I think they could become themselves around April. Like she could get them to shed the vulnerability aspect out of their relationship. Uh, despite being in Euphoria, I think they could be friends with anybody from Euphoria because every single person on that show is just horribly depressed and angry and alone. So they would match up really well. Yeah, I think you just we're just all naming characters that are horribly depressed and alone. So yeah, that works. Let's pivot to Shane and Rachel, another very interesting relationship. Again, before we get into the fictional friendships, let's first talk about the fact that they got back together. I mean... Obviously, we're all disappointed and we're like, Rachel, no, but it does feel very real to life. It's like a horror story. Mm. Uh, So I I think my read of this is not the same read that other people have just from listening to people talk about it and reading what other people wrote. My read of it was Rachel wasn't there. She saw that uh, Shane was not agreeing with Armand this entire trip. And then he kills her. He kills him. So you think, do you think Rachel knows that Shane murdered Armand? Yeah, I mean, she, she knows, I think she obviously Uh, knows that she, that he killed him. But I don't know if he, if she knows what happened in those 30 seconds after he grabbed the knife. I don't know if it's obvious that she knows that she killed, if she knows Armand is dead, I think she can assume that Shane killed him. But... I don't know if it's public information that Armand is dead. Like, the White Lotus would probably try and keep that detail of murder away from the guests. So I think it's very possible that Rachel left the resort not knowing that Armand was murdered. And then she wouldn't know that her husband is a murderer, probably of multiple people. Well, listen... I had a completely different read on it when it aired, um, and despite them confirming that, like, that was them supposed Mm -hmm. to be getting back together, he also, Mike White, also said that it is, like, an open interpretation type moment, and so the way I read it in that actual moment was that Shane had gone through a very traumatic event, right, just before this. He had just killed Armand... Um, by accident and I feel like that had a profound effect and I what I thought was that Rachel going to the airport um, and seeing him and then saying I'll be happy was like assuring him that she would be happy without him and because he's just had this event he's had some like character development type realness going on and was like okay I'm glad you will be happy moving on with your life that's but. very charitable, and I hope that's the actual. I really <laughs> hope that's. <laughs> I think that's yeah. incredibly charitable. Yeah, I did not have that read of it at all. <laughs> yeah, I think the whole because Molly Shannon keeps telling Rachel to also be happy, be happy, and what I read that to be is your role as Shane's wife is to be his happy cheerful trophy hot person 
that he can sleep with whenever he wants to sleep with and he can bring to all these parties and then ignore. And if you're a downer and upset about your life because your husband is a complete asshole and you're open, like you show that on your face, then he's not going to want to stay married to you. So be happy. Put on a happy face and go to these events and be that trophy wife. That was my read of it. Can we talk about Rachel real quick? Yeah. Because I have feelings (laughs) about Rachel. I I feel like a lot of times in television and media we see this trope of a, a very talented woman who marries this man and the man overshadows this very talented woman and they have she has to figure out how to carve her own way uh through this world which she's very capable <laughs> of doing because she's good at what she does. I think that conversation that Rachel has with Nicole is so funny because she's like, oh, yeah, I'm a journalist. And she's just putting together listicles for for this website. It's like, like, I don't want to say, like, she'll never have a career or anything. But, like, it's not like she was popping off in any sort of, like, significant way. And... I, I just think it's really funny where she's like, I could have this career and the actual answer is she probably won't have like an awesome career if 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 she stayed married to shane or if she didn't that's why that's why i was asking about sweetie potsdam i was like is that's like a prestigious journalism school that i don't know about (laughs) colby texted us today like do people know about sweetie potsdam and i was like is this because we went to syracuse that we know suny schools (laughs) i i assume y'all know every small liberal art school um north of the mason dixon line we know suny esf listen listen i know i know one person who went to suny potsdam and let me tell you it is not a high bar and i completely agree with you colby um that like i feel like she just flat out was not good at journalism and so the thought that she was going to be successful you know uh in that path i think was always a hopeless endeavor and i think deep down she knew that which why which is why it makes that ending a lot more acceptable in my mind because it almost is like she's just accepting reality as it's happening to her as bad as that is like i i'm not trying to say that shade isn't the right in anything here but it's her accepting her reality do y'all think that she married shane for his money in the first no. place no Interesting. I, 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 I think she married him because he, she was in a weird place and he was nice to her. I, oh, this is so, so condescending. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. But I get what oh, you're no. saying. <laughs> I get what you're saying because <laughs> I don't think the when I was watching the show, I was like, I thought it was, I thought she definitely married him for his money because when she's talking to Connie Britton, she brings up the prenup and says that, oh, yeah, I would have to work if we got divorced as if working is not something everyone has to do but something that people try and avoid and therefore get married to avoid um but she's so like wide-eyed and shocked to see shane be shane which is an asshole and an absolute monster that i'm like girl you married him for his money this can't be a shock to you the only read i had of the situation is Throughout the entire time they were dating, they were always, like, going to these fancy parties where he, like, went off and was schmoozing and whatever. So she has, up until her honeymoon, never actually spent alone time with him for a seven-week or seven-day period where it's literally just the two of them. And she's, like, 
listening to every single word that comes out of this dumbass's mouth. You know what I mean? Well, well, listen, I mean, I, I want to give a bit more credit to Shane in this Jacob, scenario. Jacob, do not become a Shane Defend apologist. The <laughs> Defend the white guy, right? That's me. No, I mean, Shane, listen, he is a douchebag. I'm not going to deny that, okay? He does have douchebag tendencies, and when things don't go his way, he acts like a seven-year-old child. But I will also say that I do think his feelings of love to her are genuine beyond what, you know, the okay, impression then you answer, got. Answer listen, this just question because, to me. Just if because, he loves her, no, name no. one thing he loves about her other than the fact that she's beautiful. Listen, just because Molly Shannon comes in and decides the, to tell Rachel that she's going to be a trophy wife and that's not a bad thing. I don't know if that's exactly how Shane views her. No, but it's when they're fighting and he's like, I love you. You're beautiful. That's literally the only two things of compliment that he says to her is you're gorgeous. You're hot. I'm hot for you. And you're my wife. Is like- it so <laughs> wrong to love somebody because they're hot? there's listen i love you and you are hot but i don't love you because you're hot well that's a damn shame (laughs) a shane a shane let's not do that right now uh i think shane is literally if you took the show married at first sight and turned it into a fictional character because uh for those of you who don't know I love Married at First Sight. It's one of my favorite shows. And every single person who goes on that reality show is more in love with the idea of being married and being with somebody than they are to their actual person. And I think Shane is in love with... He might really be infatuated and really like Rachel, but I'm not sure if he loves Rachel in the way that uh, a long-standing marriage would as much as he loves the idea of being married to someone like Rachel. Jacob, I personally don't think that Shane loves Rachel, but Mike White had said in an interview that he does. He said that some people read it as cynical to me. The thing that I feel about Shane is that even though he is a privileged asshole, he does really love her, even if it's just the idea of her. I just don't think he loves anything about her other than the fact that she's beautiful, which I think she's beautiful too. I'm not in love with her. What fictional characters do y'all think they'd be friends with? I I just watched Legally Blonde because we will be covering it soon on the podcast. And I think Shane would be best friends with Warner, uh, Elle's boyfriend that she's trying to win back in Legally Blonde. I don't know if you watch uh, Kevin Can Fuck Himself, but I think he'd be really good friends with Kevin. Well... Shane can also fuck himself, so that works. Um, Okay, let's move on to uh, another relationship. This will probably be very quick, but I wanted to talk about Quinn and his phone. I just think that I think the show did a really good job of illustrating um, Quinn's separation from his phone and enjoying actual beauty when he like sees the whale in the ocean or like a really dope sunrise. Like I think it did a good job at capturing how he was genuinely awestruck by the beauty of the moment but i do think quinn's storyline was interesting the one weird thing is that we're talking about how colonization has been terrible for hawaii and it ends with this white dude going back to hawaii and basically being like yes this beauty in nature is mine um but mike white was also asked about that in an interview and he was like yeah i see that but also 
I love nature and I'm on Survivor. That's not a direct quote. <laughs> <laughs> I love nature and I'm on Survivor. By the way, I've heard the Survivor season is really is really good. I've heard David and Goliath is is really interesting. If you want to check that out on Paramount Plus, Colby, who's paying you here? Paramount Plus paying you? <laughs> They're paying me. What's paying me is uh the podcast that I host that where we occasionally talk about uh Survivor for minutes on end. So <laughs> what's the name of that podcast, Colby, by the way? Never made varsity. We talk about sports and pop culture and we talk too much about Survivor. <laughs> Thank you. Um no, but let me talk a little bit about that Quinn uh moment there. So this is where my opinion might become a little controversial. And obviously me saying this as a white person, like, you know, I think, and Mike White also talks about this in the interview. I I think it was something for the character. It was the character's development. It's almost to me like who gives a shit that he's a white dude. Like it was like this character started as someone who was, completely not grounded in reality completely in his yeah depressed in his virtual space and then he found something of natural wonder that brought him out of that and changed his life and i'm like all right like yeah maybe people can get upset that it's a white dude doing that but at the same time i'm like who gives a shit that it's a white dude doing that it's about the character to me and you know how is he paying for it though he's probably his parents are paying like yes he escaped to hawaii it was whimsical yeah but at the end of the day he's gotta pay a bill we all do (laughs) (laughs) yeah he it's it's a little whimsical but no i it's not like uh uh, white people are not entitled to the environment as well like i i think like he i i think it's like whatever he can paddle to to fiji as as olivia said if he wants to who cares side note maybe that'll be the next season uh well he'll be the (laughs) returning character in at the white lotus fiji it just turns into castaway after that no i uh what i do wonder about his character's future is what happens like a year from now or like at the end of the summer when he Maybe if he gets bored of of paddling around Polynesia, uh, but I I think that's a fine end. Uh, of all the characters, I'm I'm glad that Quinn got a little bit of it. Uh, by the way, the people on that canoe, it's not like it was um uh, like Islanders, like it was they weren't Native that's Hawaiians. True. It was a, a a dude in his snapback, a backward <laughs> yeah. snapback who's in front of him. It's not like. He's stealing a canoe from the native people. I think it, it, if he wants to go on his on his little excursion, why not? I think Quinn, honestly, I'm, I was at first I was trying to think of like nerdy TV characters or film characters, but Quinn isn't nerdy. Like he's just depressed and s- sticks to his phone to do that. I think he and Tina Belcher from Bob's Burgers. I was going to say Gene Belcher, actually. Oh, my God. I was going to say Incredible, <laughs> Listen, if Quinn can't stay in Hawaii for long because his parents are going to stop paying the bills, he's just got to move in with the Belchers. The last character I have to dive into is Armand, who is sadly no longer with us. <laughs> but what I thought was interesting about Armand is that he also kind of sucks. Yeah, like he really sucks. I, I'm not a person who believes in the carceral system, but uh, he needs to go to jail. 
<laughs> like, like if he was alive, like you can't get your if you're a manager, you cannot get your employees high and then have sex with them. You can't do that. You know, I think all of you are haters. All right. Here's Are you an Armand lover? I'm an Armand lover, and here's why. Armand has been battling his entire life against this stupid fucking system in such a trivial, stupid job. I mean, it is like it's not to invalidate, of course, people who work in service, but like, you know, his entire life is fighting battles against something that in the larger scheme of society is relatively insignificant. And so Armand has been putting up with these rude ass customers. I mean, you said it yourself. If you're going to be the one to say Shane is an asshole, you know, you can't go back on that statement in okay, that that's the way he treats Armand. I love messing with people. I'm not going to hate on somebody for messing with people, but there's a way to do it. For example, right, when he sets Shane up to go on that terrible boat with Tanya and the ashes and things like that. I honestly think he could have described the boat cruise and been like, look how amazing this boat cruise is. And then Shade would be like, can we do that tonight? And I think Armand could have said, no, you can't. It's taken tonight, knowing Shane and his pineapple sweet obsession and knowing Shane would be like, no, I need it tonight. And then almost talked Shane into talking him into giving it to him tonight and saying, "Okay, there will be one more woman on the boat. Like there's a way to play people. And Armand just doesn't know how to play people. I understand why he's sick of the system. I would be, too. But I think in White Lotus, Lotus season two, Belinda would do a much better job playing the system than Armand did. And then you also, I feel like, hold on before we even move on from this. <laughs> Armand, excuse me, is also struggling with addiction issues. Are you saying that people who struggle with addiction issues are bad? Okay, Shruti? Jacob, you know that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> like, I have a lot of sympathy for, for Armand because it's hard. <laughs> that job is, inc- is incredible. I don't say it's incredibly hard, but it is taxing to have to deal with those people constantly. And also, you can't get your employees high and have sex with them. You can't do it. You can't do that. Of all the things you can do, and it's kind of fine, can't do that one. Anyway, on that note, let's pivot to our last topic. So on Chaos on the Set, we love to talk about what sequel series we'd like to see. Obviously, we know that White Lotus has been greenlit for a second season with an all-new cast. My personal opinion is I never want to watch a show with this tone again. It was way too stressful. It was very but interesting. I don't think it is. But okay, here's my thing. The the takeaway from the story, right, is like we're not going to show our POC characters again and you're just going to feel terrible watching these white people move on with their lives. I think, I think in and of itself, that's a great contained story. I don't want to watch that same thing play out again with an all-new cast. I think they would have to just radically change their tone. Like... It would have to be com- a completely different tone. It could still be mortifying, but it has to be mortifying in a different way. Have y'all, are y'all uh, American Horror Story fans? No, I. Um, good, uh, because that show is not good. But they, they do find a way to, to like have an anthology that changes the tone every season. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. And I. I, for one, am a, Mike, am a Mike White fan. School of Rock is one of my favorite movies of all time. I think he's a talented writer. I, I think there's a way to do another one of these at a different resort that is still 
compelling and interesting. Well, listen, another anthology that's done it beautifully is Fargo, the series. Fargo has a different setting and tone um, every season, and most of them are good. Um, But, like, it's one of those things where I think moving into a different place, it doesn't have to explore that exact same theme, especially because a lot of that theme was made up by the fact that it took place in Hawaii. They could take place in a completely different space that would completely change the theme of the show while also staying true to that brand of characters who interact in the ways that they do in this season. So I think there's high hopes for season two of The White Lotus. Yeah, I think I think there's a story there. I just don't want the story to be again, to again be let's look at these terrible white people screw over these people of color. I as much as people have talked about the race aspect of this, for me, the real del- I mean, it's impossible to ignore the race aspect. Let me put that out there. I also think that another huge, almost equal aspect of this is class. Mm. Because when we look at Paula, at least the way that I look at Paula, like, yes, uh, this is a person of color who is at this resort and, like, feels for the indigenous people who have to, like, perform, like, a facade of their culture for, for these white folks. She strikes me as a person who was so disconnected with actual struggle. She strikes me as one of like the the Twitter leftists who is crying for a revolution uh, that doesn't realize that to have a revolution, you have to have war. Yes. Which is terrible and tears families apart and tears uh, people apart. And there there is death and turmoil mm-hmm. and is probably never going to happen in the United States in the, in the foreseeable future. Um, I'm sorry, leftist friends. I'm with you, but it's not going to happen. Um, it, I, I feel like if they if they lean into the class aspect, there there's something there. So I know that we're not going to see these characters again, but if there was a sequel with these characters, what would you want to see? I mean, I think that I honestly think that Olivia and Paula will go to college and will meet their own community of friends that they actually can be themselves around and will never talk to each other again. At least I can hope. (laughs) That's my dream for both of them. For me, the character I obviously want to return is Tanya jennifer coolidge <laughs> i i want the opening scene of season two to be her spreading that guy's ashes on a beach uh, the guy that she was sleeping with yeah that's what i want to see to open season two of this show let's be real about it but i also think how cool would it be if the same actor who played armand played the manager of the next white lotus hotel <laughs> and it's just murray bartlett but just He's just a different person, or he's like yeah. It's just Armand backwards, he's, however you say. It, right? I want to. Just... <laughs> I want to see Belinda playing Armand's game, but playing it smarter. You know what I mean? Because she's alive, she can do it. Uh, I mean, Shane and Rachel is just a either a ticking clock, clock between them getting divorced or Shane killing Rachel, right? Yeah, totally. But do you know who? What's an unlikely partnership that I can totally see happen? Shiv and Nicole. Yes. Oh, yeah. That would happen. Try to get in with the, with these uh, with the conservative media. Try to turn turn some ties. That that would a hundred percent happen. You know what I want to see? Quinn leaves. Quinn has to leave the White Lotus, and then he's like, "Mom, Dad, 
I'm going to go try out for a European soccer team. And then he gets coached by Ted Lasso. I, so where I thought you were going with that sentence is Quinn is out here and he ends up in a safari and a shaman grants him abilities to talk to animals. <laughs> he meets up with Eliza Thornberry. Or, or Quinn is in the Jungle Cruise 2 sequel where he just chills with Dwayne The Ron Johnson and Emily Blunt and they adopt him as their son. Well, on that note, we can wrap up this special edition of Chaos on the Set featuring the White Lotus. Colby and Jacob, thank you so much for joining me. Would you care to tell the people about your other podcasts and where they can follow you? Yeah, sure. Uh, My other podcast is called Road Boys. That's boys spelled B-O-I-S. Uh, and it's about a phenomenal cross-country road trip involving 33 states and 20 national parks that was uh, taken last year, and we talk about different stops there, so check that out. Yeah, you can find me on Never Made Varsity, which is a podcast about sports and pop culture, mostly uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill Sports. Uh, if you hate Duke, it's a great place for you to find yourself. Uh, as- Duke, Duke. There we go. Oh, I love it, even though Zone is for cowards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then also, uh, Martha and Colby grow up where me and our friend Martha talk about whatever you want to talk about that month. You can follow me on Twitter at MicroMarate. My letterboxed is Shruti Marate. Kate and Mike are not with us today, sadly, but Kate's Twitter is Kate underscore Wyant. Mike's letterboxed is Mike Riccardi with two C's and one I. And again, you can follow the show at Chaos on the Set. Um, and we hope that we can hear more from you. Please tweet us your thoughts at Chaos on the Set on what you thought about the White Lotus. And tune in next week when we talk about Palm Springs on the podcast. Even more tropical fun to get into.